You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but you don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel Show is produced weekly for your growth and enjoyment. Listen to us on podcast platforms including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many more. You can also watch the show on YouTube by visiting realmenfeel.org slash YouTube. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Real Men Feel is brought to you by The Good Men Project. Visit goodmenproject.com for more of the conversations no one else is having. Your reviews, comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in our Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Greetings, friends, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And as always, Real Men Feel is brought to you by The Good Men Project. So visit goodmenproject.com for more of the conversations that most men are not having. But uh, unlike most men, you're listening to this and you've been a fan for a long time, so you know the kind of conversations we have. And today we are excited to have our guest, Tracy Martino. Uh, Tracy is an executive consultant focusing on the science of the brain, heart, and intuition so that leaders and teams can master the skills of human social behavior to drive engagement and performance. And Tracy is also a best-selling author. She's written a book with Brian Tracy called Cracking the Code to Success. So welcome, Tracy, and, and let's get cracking. Thank you. <laughs> let's get cracking and talking, yes. So it's really cool to have you here. And um, we've talked a couple times pre-show, and you just have this really like amazing wealth of, of experience and knowledge and um, combining science and intuition that, that I think is really cool and, and a ways to, that I, I have not heard people taking that information out to executives and leadership. So, so how did that come about for you? Well, it came about for me from being an executive myself. I was an executive sales consultant, uh, an executive medical device sales rep, I should say. And I realized that, you know, as I'm going out selling and I'm dealing with so many emotions and stress that I had to start to take in my own personal spirituality and intuition, but also the science end of it. I got, I got into it from that. Cool. So are, are, did you discover these things and put, put them to work in your own life and then put them to work for other people? Or how Well, you- I had to, being really ill and getting in the ER forced me to start to research all of this. Uh-huh. Because being a high-stressed sales consultant and executive, I didn't realize, you know, it's so so funny. So many people think that women are always aware of our emotions and we're feelers and we got all that. But, you know, when you're type A and you're going all the time and you're trying to achieve sales goals and you're trying to please everybody, all of a sudden you forget about you. And for me, I ended up in the hospital. And people are surprised because I'm very healthy. I teach also fitness. I'm a healthy eater. I live in Boulder. And people were surprised that I ended up having an angiogram. You know, here I was a cardiology rep, which is ironic. And then I end up in the hospital in the ER because of that. So that's kind of where it started from, where I was thinking, okay, I have to take what I know business-wise 
and I have to combine the science and I have to combine a little bit of the spirituality with this. And so I started with, with a couple programs. I started with heart math and we'll get into that. I started with neuroscience. I have a background in economics. So I discovered neuroeconomics and I looked at how human behavior and how human emotions affect not only our health, but everything we do. Cool. So were you at all a spiritual person in, until this health crisis? Not really. Not really. No, I mean, I grew Catholic. Um, people called my parents' house the chapel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, it didn't resonate with me at that point. I, I was so focused on my sales goals. I was so focused on the number. I was so focused on performance where I didn't take the time for me. So I didn't get into the spiritual side until, which a lot of people talk about, right? Until you get, you know, this dark night of the soul or you get really ill or something bad happens. Where right. you're, yeah, you have to face your own mortality, right? Yeah, I, get, I mean, we, 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 uh, you know, we must start off spiritual to begin with and it kind of like we yes. push it away as we grow up and, yeah. and, and lose touch with it. And again, chase the numbers, chase business, chase our goals. Yeah, because society um, tells us, society is always telling us what we should be. You know, we have to be this high performer. We have to chase these numbers. We have to be this great father, this great mother in terms of like high performance all the time. We're pushing our kids to be number one all the time when we're not taking to look at what's our heart saying instead of what our mind is saying. What's the story that society tells us to be? Because we're so programmed and we're so conditioned. Just like my favorite movie, The Matrix. I mean, we are so caught in this matrix where, you know, I was caught in this matrix where I thought, hey, I have to take a break and step out here. I have to take that other pill. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so what, what sort of, how, how does your life, how does your business change as you get out of the head and more into the heart? For me and for executives that I work with, it helps you make much better cognitive decisions, better problem solving. You're able to be creative and innovate more because intuition comes from this area of the heart. And we can talk about that more. And you're able to just have more peace in your life. You're actually healthier. Because too many times when we're stressed out, we go into that limbic portion of our brain, the fear center of our brain, mm -hmm. and we're not realizing we're doing that. This society is not slowing down with artificial intelligence. You know, there's so many predictions for 2020 and with virtual reality coming out and quantum computing. There's so many things that are causing us to, you know, be busier. But we're not taking time to say, hey, I need to sink down in here and really be who I truly am. Right. So, cause, uh, I think the first time I ever heard of heart math were, were sort of studies about, um, and, and, and what I like about them is it, it's very science-based. There's a lot of research. Yes. yes. And that's exactly why I like it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and that, you know, contrary to what we've all been taught growing up and in school, it, it's our brain doesn't really run the show. Our, our heart is much more in control of more than just pumping our blood than we realized. Exactly. Exactly. Because science has discovered there's 40,000 sensory neurites in our heart. That's why they'll call it the second brain. And so people used to think that more information comes from the head to the heart when actually more information comes from the heart to the brain. And the heart will pick up on things quicker than the brain. So for example, when you walk into a room, you're able to feel the energy of the room. And that is science. We can measure that because the heart creates an electromagnetic activity that can be felt up to 10 feet away. We can measure that. So every single emotion, happy, sad, 
angry, the heart's pumping that out and subconsciously we're picking that up and then it will bring that message to the brain. So let's say we are seeing anything, something even just upsetting on the news. Let's say people are, which I try not to watch as much news anymore, something upsetting about the news, maybe our political landscape and they get upset and the heart feels that and it goes to the brain and we keep getting stressed and we keep creating this whole pattern of stress, mm -hmm. right? Because we're so addicted to stress in this society. Right, yeah, I see that in a lot of people. If if uh, if I'm not working hard, if I'm not stressed, then I, I must not be doing a good job if I'm not kind of freaking out at some level. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, because our, our ego and against society is programming us to telling us we have to be like this, we have to be busy, we have to, you know, always chase the numbers, chase our sales goals. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's, uh, do the executives and, and leaders that you come across, do they have does it feel intuitive to them when you tell them this or does it feel very contrary? No. Like, I'll, I'll think better if I get out of my head like that doesn't. No, it's, it's not second nature to most people. It, it takes them a while because we are so into our head. We are so into those thoughts and we are into those patterns because when we were inside our mothers from the age of zero to six, we are trying to feel out and understand patterns of our life. We're trying to understand patterns of our environment to keep us safe, mm. right? So a lot of those patterns from the age zero to six is created into our subconscious. And many of us, especially executives, because they're so busy, um, don't realize that they're operating 95% of the time from that subconscious. And that takes a while for me to work with people to get to them to understand that because they think they're conscious, they're living day in and day out. Um, like again, I have sales as an example, chasing the number or working with their sales staff or what have you that's where it comes into play. And it, it isn't intuitive at first. It does take a while. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of the, one of the bizarre things about intuition. You, if, yes. if you're not used to it, you've got to like do some conscious efforting and work to get back in touch with what really wants to flow naturally. Well, yeah, because they talk, if people have read a lot of articles, even Harvard Business Review and Forbes, they talk about intuition is, is one of the highest forms of intelligence mm -hmm. because it's, it's, it's not, it's kind of that gun instinct, but it's a higher knowing. Because when you're in touch with that heart, you're understanding how other people's emotions work, how this electromagnetic activity works with other people, how I can be a higher performer. Because with heart math, we've actually used this with Navy SEALs, with law enforcement, with, like I said, executives, Fortune 500 companies, because we understand that we are always going to get triggered. It's human for us to get triggered because we want to feel safe. But how can we help the number one prepare for that trigger? How can we be, when that trigger happens, can we go to that frontal lobe of the brain and have effective decision-making? And how can we be resilient after that trigger happens? Because I want to tell, especially your listeners, this is so important, especially for men, um, because they have more testosterone than women. Women have one-sixth the amount of testosterone. Uh, when men tend to get highly triggered, and this is most for most human beings, there's a measure of inflammation in their body. It's called inner leukin number seven, IL number seven. So when you get triggered, that stays in your body for up to 72 hours. Mm -hmm. So you think about all that inflammation and then all that cortisol from stress from being triggered, right? Because we're so into our brain. We're so into all these patterns and belief systems. Again, that society's programming us, the whole matrix. If you want to go back, that's what it's telling us. So we have to learn how to understand that connection to the brain to the heart to get out of that brain cool now mentioned triggers a lot already and i've you know i i talk about triggers and a lot of people do but 
I, I don't think I've asked anyone ever to to define it. Like, is it just you know, is it internal or external? Is something that just you know launches some automatic reaction? How would you? It's it's, it? a, it's an environmental reaction to a stimulus. Okay. I mean, t- technically, that would be an environmental you know stimulus. It could be good or it could be bad. We have good we have good triggers where if I smell like a certain kind of wood, it reminds me of being in my grandparents' sauna, you know, or certain things remind us of childhood, right? Where there are bad triggers, which are part of human nature, which cause us to go into a fight or flight or freeze or appease, right? And the Neuroleadership Institute has discovered that there's five main domains that cause us to go into a fight or flight or freeze or appease. And I want your listeners to understand it's called scarf, like a winter scarf, you're tying a scarf. So can I go into that and tell them what it yeah. is? Yeah, let's, right. hear, let's hear about scarf. scarf. Yeah, S is status. And that's a huge trigger, probably one of the largest triggers for all of us as human beings. It's a very powerful trigger for men. So if we, let's say a, a person gets demoted on their job, that is detrimental to somebody because it's their status. It's going to throw them into a threat response. And I've seen this with one of my clients I worked with here locally in Boulder. And it was hard for him. He wanted to stay with his job, but he got demoted. And it was so hard for him to stay working for that company because of that threat response. And as if there's any people out there who are listening as managers, this is going to help you motivate or demotivate your employees. Uh, another thing with status, I think we've seen, if you remember the United and American Airlines fiasco, um, if, the read, if the listeners don't remember that, United Airlines, where there was a physician on board and they had to clear out the airplane. And um, so an airline security came on board and asked this physician to leave. So right there, you have two status-driven people, a physician who's very status-driven, and then you have the airline security who's very status-driven, and they're knocking heads. And so that caused a huge fiasco. It was a horrible PR fiasco for uh, United. So status is a big one. And, and does the rest of the model, does it kind of go in order as to how strong things are or, or not? Well, it's different for different people and it's, uh, different okay. for different, and it's different for different organizations. I mean, even with these triggers with status, it's not only just like you and me talking verbally and looking at each other, but it also comes in emails. I see this a lot in texts. Whereas what I write about in the book with Brian Tracy, one of my clients was getting an email from a, a coworker and he was mad that he didn't get back to him. So he CC'd his president and that put him into status and he wanted to write, you know, all this, you know, nasty stuff. So I had to hold him back for that. Yeah. Status is a huge one. So, and so what's the rest of of the scarf model? So C is certainty as human beings. We really want to make sure our life is certain. The brain will actually go into an error mode if we aren't certain about things. Hmm. And this, you can have like with job descriptions, um, what have you, people get really frustrated with certainty. So A is autonomy. We want our freedom. And a lot of people, you'll see this in, with a lot of millennials, they're seeing this with uh, wanting to have their freedom to work off the office site. Mm-hmm. R is probably one of the bigger ones, in my opinion, relatedness. Are we in tribe, out tribe? Are we a Packer fan? Or are we a Bear fan? <laughs> <laughs> and this is, is really important when we're looking at empathy in society today, when we're looking at how we can work with our coworkers. Because you have so many different generations now in the workforce, right? We have millennials, we have uh, baby boomers, we have different, uh, so many different things going on in our work environment right now. Mm-hmm. And the last one, F is fairness. And you're seeing this again in our political landscape. You're seeing this with so many things. 
And this affects our ability to empathize. I talk about a lot in the, a lot of things I write about the blind spots of empathy and the uh, neuro, actually neuroeconomics did a study where it's, it's a pain for empathy. And like I brought up the, I'll bring up Packer bears cause I'm from the Midwest. So a, a Packer fan might not feel empathy for a bear fan if they're hurt. Mm. So again, it's that fairness relatedness. So all these are triggers. And I just want your listeners to understand these are normal. We're human. It's okay. But getting back to heart math, it's like, how quickly can we be resilient with these triggers? So, so let's, let's go back and, and really define, you know, who or what is heart math? Mm -hmm. Heart math was created in, in the 90s, and they created that because they wanted to see how the human heart related to human performance. So they've done many scientific studies to see not only the electromagnetic activity, but how people relate to, to each other and how something called coherence affects us. And that's how they started. And so with coherence, that's the harmony between the brain, heart, and central nervous system. And they've discovered with that, you're going to increase performance. And like I said in the beginning, you're going to increase the activity in the frontal lobe and decrease it in your limbic brain. So it's getting us all to stop being the ancient reptile version of ourselves and more into our, our, the, all of the, the, the heart, the mind, the body, everything together. Yes, exactly. Cool. So is, this, is heart math really related to kind of the, 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 the body, spirit, the heart and mind connection? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Because they're discovering it, it creates more intuition. Well, they have done studies where how one person's coherence, remember it's the brain, heart, central nervous system relationship, how it can affect everybody else in the room. Mm. So they did a study with, there was four people, one person knew how to do the, the, the coherence. And so they hooked them up into neurofeedback. And so these people were angry. They had a lot of things going on. That person just practiced what, what I teach is the coherence. There's techniques for this with heart math. And they were able to shift these, the people's heart rhythms, actually. They were able to shift their, their biochemistry. It was fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Cool. And uh, yeah, I, I think this comes from heart math, that the notion of the, the ideal way to hug and to align the hearts and really feel that connection as well. Yeah. It's that energy. It's yeah. that energy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So again, everyone's, if you don't call it energy work, you don't call it intuition, but everyone's had these experiences of, of walking in the room and, you know, uh, laughing because other people are laughing, even if you miss the joke or feeling the tension of a fight that that's all that sort of, the, the, the magnetic field of yes. someone's heart, of their energy. Yes, because we can feel it even worldwide. And what HeartMath is doing, they have a, a global coherence project they're working on. They want to see worldwide. Can we, as human beings, let's say if you and I were creating coherence, can we create that with the rest of, with, well, with the, rest of the world? Hmm. So they discovered, they were looking at electromagnetic activity in the world. So they were looking at measures with the sun, because the sun creates electromagnetic activity. That's a scientific fact. And there's electromagnetic activity along with the earth. So they measured that with the sun, with ours. And they were looking at records back in 1991. And so during the World Trade Center, they noticed, if you, if you can go back and research it, that they noticed a spike in energy right when the Twin Towers was hit. So it shows we all have an effect on each other. We really do. Right. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's really powerful. So, so that, that peak wasn't 
leading up to it. It wasn't part of the destruction. It was the aftermath of everyone feeling that, yeah. that hurt together kind of. Yeah, it was actually four minutes after it hit. Hmm. This peak in energy. Wow. And the same thing is, is with our hearts. Um, when I talk to a lot of people, when they, they think a lot of it's just belly breathing. Belly breathing's great. I, I think it's fantastic when we breathe, inhale and out to bring that, you know, parasympathetic nervous system back in check. I think that's great. But the connection to the brain and the heart is so important because we have, you know, that connection between that. And so what I have to tell people is if we think about the heart, heart transplants have been done, you know, for quite some time. And science really didn't pick on the energy of the heart at first. They didn't understand like where our memories come from, from the heart. So this is a really cool story. So there was a, a little girl who had a heart transplant. And, you know, a lot of times you don't know where the heart transplants come from. That's by law. You know, you can't find this out. Mm. This little girl started having nightmares. And she had really specific dreams about somebody chasing her in the woods and it was dark. And this man was saying something to her right before he killed her. And so the parents brought her to a therapist and they said, this isn't um, a normal nightmare. This is actually a memory. And so they had her describe the man. They sketched it out. And they discovered this man had killed this girl, who's the girl's heart who she got. And he broke down and said the words that this girl said in this dream. So it shows the heart has memory. Wow. We have memory for every single thing that's happened to us since we, like I talked about zero to six, everything that's happened has memory. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I, so I do a lot of work with the Akashic Records, which is kind of the vibrational yes. memory of everybody. But yeah, I never yeah. heard that, you know, it, it's physically in an organ and that if you, yeah, you take out someone's heart, the memories are still there. Yes. And can be picked up by someone else. That's, yes. that's crazy. It's crazy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And, the, and the thing is, it's with, with men, heart disease is still the number one killer. I mean, so I, I feel so much for that because it's like, let's get in touch, like your show, let's get in touch with how we feel. Let's get in touch with our emotions. Because like I said, with the interleukin number seven, with the way our triggers are, it affects your heart because your heart has memory. And so many times we are numb to those feelings. And that's not fair. So you, you can't have a healthy physical heart doing its job as an organ and not be willing to, to feel and embrace yes. all that the heart is doing. Yes, 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 yes. Because I've seen people who are like me, like physically, physically in shape, right? They eat right. But what's the thing that's going to get them is understanding how these emotions and feelings and how these triggers work and how the connection to the mind and heart work. Mm. And actually, that's actually going to keep us younger. Because this is really cool too. <laughs> I'll get a little bit more geeked out if that's okay. Yeah. So with our human chromosomes, at the end of the chromosomes, we have what's called a telomer. So chromosomes kind of look at that X and it looks like a, a shoelace at the end, you know, that plastic part so we can lace the shoes. Mm -hmm. As we get older, as we age, those telomeres start to decrease. Okay. And that affects the way we physically look from an aging perspective. It affects our organs. It affects everything. Well, there's a couple ways to actually increase the length of that with an enzyme in our body with the telomeres called telomerase. And to increase that, we can also eat healthy. That helps. Um, we can exercise. But one of the ways that is really going to increase that is, again, the heart-brain coherence. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, you don't have to go get Botox. <laughs> just, just seriously, just do the heartbrain coherence. And so, so how does someone, what does doing that mean? How, how does someone exactly. increase that coherence? Well, part of it is understanding how to, being aware of getting to that heart. And a lot of times, I, I find some gentlemen find it difficult with that because getting in touch with that heart can be sometimes very painful for people because of the, of the past emotions there, the past memories. So what I have specifically gentlemen doing is I have them think about if they get stressed or they get triggered, think about bringing that energy of the mind just to the center of your body. You don't have to think heart. It's okay. So first of all, coming to the center of the body and like you and I talk about with, with uh, spirituality, breathing in and breathing out, right? Because that's going to bring the parasympathetic nervous system down. <clears throat> that's the first part. And we call it at heart math, heart focused breath. Second part is to getting into coherence is attaching a feeling to that. And I know it's hard if we aren't feeling, if we deny our feelings and if we're numb, that's tough. But if we even start small with a feeling of confidence, right? I, I start with that because sometimes I've noticed with gentlemen, it's hard to get there. Start with confidence or then I'll start with, what do you appreciate? And then we can go deeper. What are you grateful for? So, so you're saying that we're combining this, so I'm, I'm imagining breathing in confidence? Breathing. As you're breathing, you're breathing in confidence. You're breathing in appreciation. In for five and out for five. That's just the simplest way of doing it. It's so simple. But I will tell you, for just if you do it for three minutes a day, this will start to increase the anti-aging hormone of DHEA, DHEA, and also to increase those telomeres. Right? So heart math. The heart-focused breath, all the heart intelligence has so many benefits to all of us as human beings. We're accessing intuition, we're looking younger, right? And we're able to make better decisions, and we're lowering all the cholesterol inflammation in our bodies. I don't know why we wouldn't do it. Right, and it, and it, <laughs> right? Only, it only makes sense because we're, we're, we're using all of us. Yes. And then and that's really what it, the, it comes down to. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely was challenged by this sort of thinking um, when I was younger and I meet people too that, you know, well, no, it's, my life is hard and complicated. So something simple can't possibly help me. Yes, exa exactly. And, and I'm serious, just three minutes can affect, it will, oh, it will increase your DHA for six hours. That's, that's, the, that's it. Oh. Three minutes, six hours. Why not? You're right. I mean, and it's, and it's not because I've discovered, and I don't know what your thoughts are um, with the interviews you've done with meditation. I find meditation hard for, for some gentlemen, especially type A personalities, yeah. my husband being one. He can't sit still. And so even just practicing this three minutes of the heart-focused breath, because you don't have, you can close your eyes, you can do it awake. Mm -hmm. Because what I want to get my clients to do is being able to do this on the spot, Right. Can you access intuition on the spot? Can you access this, um, you know, superpower on the spot? Because it is a superpower. Right. Because again, if we go back to that trigger, let's say we get triggered, road rage is so high. Let's say we get triggered by somebody cutting us off. Mm -hmm. Sink down into that heart right away. And that's going to start to shift that energy. It's really cool. Yeah. And, and, and from, from personal experience, when like at first, oh, it'll, it'll, it'll feel like effort, but it just means you have to focus on it. Yes. It, it's, yeah, it's never, it's, it shouldn't feel like, oh, I'm, I'm shoving my brain down into my heart. It doesn't yeah. it be really effortful, it, it, it well, might yeah. take your attention. It, it, exactly. And, and like we're talking about, um, it, it helps us even connect with people and have better conversations too. 
So ideally, um, well, probably ideally before before a meeting, before you start your day, you would you would want to really make sure that you're in your heart, that you have your yes. oxygen is flowing, that everything your coherence is as as optimal as you can possibly be. Exactly. That's why we use heart math a lot with a lot of professional athletes too. So not just athletes, let's say you're going into the boardroom. It's, we do so much work with prep. And imagine the possible triggers in a meeting. Let's say somebody interrupts you or they something that's going to take you off guard. If you're working with that coherence and you're better prepared, things are going to turn out much better for you right. and the entire room there. Yeah. And it makes sense. If, uh, if I'm operating only in my head and I've, you know, I've memorized my big speech and something happens and it, you know, it throws off my exact next perfect word and I get all flustered and, but, but by letting, letting my coherence, letting my intuition flow, yeah. again, it just flows. So you, you can, exactly. you can adapt much easier. And as, as triggers come your way, they're just, they're just, they're just stimuli. They don't, uh, you don't have to have some drastic response to them. Well, exactly. And that's why it's so important. I tell my clients to, first of all, understand, write down and take time. What are your big, what are the big triggers that hit you? I mean, because typically people will have, you know, status triggers are, are their main, main, main triggers. You know, understand what your big triggers are. Like if my husband and I talk about what triggers us each other as a couple, it's money and it's how we raise our kids are the two biggest triggers for us. And so if we aren't aware of those triggers, we sometimes can't have a conversation where you feel safe. And for us to have a conversation where we feel safe, we can't have difficult conversations and then we're not able to, number one, get closer and we're not able to evolve. Us as a couple and same with us as a society. We have to be willing to have these difficult conversations. Right. So, you know, this is another term a lot of people have heard often, but can, can, we, can you define what, what does a safe space mean? when it comes to a conversation or a relationship? Well, yeah, exactly. When we want to feel safe in a conversation, it's being emotionally safe, being able to feel authentic and vulnerable. So, the, and your vulnerability, there's not a backlash. It's not used against you. It's that, that, that safe. It's safe to feel and share whatever you're going to do. Exactly. Because it's not like physically you feel safe. It's more emotionally because um, I'll use my husband and I as an example, just because this is one I know so well. This is a big trigger, I think, for a lot of people is money. And so what we need to do is what my husband and I do, and this is what I teach clients too, is I create, I create a ritual all the time, not just with couples, but also businesses. And I call it rules of engagement. And so we might say, what do you need to make sure you feel safe? What does it sound like, feel like, and look like for this to feel safe, this conversation. And so when I do this with organizations, they might say that I'm not going to get a performance review on this, that I'm not going to have Big Brother watching me, that I'm not going to have somebody making fun of me or talking over me. And we will write this down. We'll actually have big sheets of paper. We'll put it on like a board. So we know these are the rules of engagement we agreed upon is so we can have these difficult conversations. Same thing with a husband and wife. Like I might say, if we talk about money and I tell you how much I spent I want to feel safe, so please don't yell at me or swear at me or, or say something bad like that. And if you agree upon this, that's how you start that conversation. You can feel safe because you know, getting back to triggers, we're all going to get triggered with difficult conversations. But again, it's how resilient we are and how prepared we are. Right. So it's almost as a conscious agreement and, and setting of, of an intention to create a space where even if triggers show up, you're not going to go off the rails. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. 
and and again talk about money like i can see money hitting uh status certainty autonomy fairness like fairness you know, so totally. yeah so yes. so one one trigger doesn't necessarily trigger just one part of the scarf model it can be multiple exactly and then typically when we'll get what happens in conversations because that's another specialty of mine is conversational intelligence is when we get triggered you know number one we have our blind spots of conversation if i'm triggered what will happen is let's say i'm addicted to being right which i see a lot of people happen yeah. i'm not going to fully listen i'm not going to fully engage or what happens with people is they think they're listening but they're listening based on their beliefs and their patterns and their history right uh another belief another blind spot they check out every 12 to 18 seconds in conversation that's the average so we're triggered, but we have to understand we have these conversational blind spots. So I don't want people to overthink conversations, but I'm just letting them know that's what could happen. Right. And, it, and it's your, your willingness to recognize and kind of witness yourself. How, how am yes. I in my own conversations? Yes, exactly. That's, oh my God, you got it. Exactly. Because if I, let's say I get triggered again, let's say he, my husband's upset about me spending money on something. I get triggered with a fairness trigger and then I'm not listening based on my beliefs and, 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 patterns right right and, yeah, and then and, and then and then i check out of the conversation i'm not listening engaging with him and then we're not expanding and you know and engaging as a couple yeah 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 so you can be you can be off in your own head you can have shut down because of the subject matter or triggers and then you know, I, i've come across people that think they're engaged but they're not listening because they're planning what they're going to say next but yes. they think that's engagement somehow yes yes exactly hmm. that's exactly because it's those conversational blind spots which we all have and it's so neat with couples and with people in the boardroom, if you're aware of that, like I've, I've heard people like, oh my God, I got triggered. It's a, it's, a, it's a fairness trigger. I get it. And they're not as mad, but they're catching themselves quicker. Yeah. So they're able to engage more. Yeah. That when, when I first started meditating, that's what I first noticed was I'm still triggered. Like, oh, wait. I, it didn't last as long or yes. hey, that, that was something that used to bother me. And now I just, it didn't like that was, it was noticing my triggers, not triggering me as much was the first proof to me that, wow, meditation is doing something to me. Exactly. Cause you're able to step out and be the observer. You're being able to be the observer of your emotions. You can observe those triggers and just let them go by. Like watching a football go across the field. Just like, Oh, there's my trigger. Okay. That's nice. <laughs> so, so you've mentioned, lots of different um, topics and, and wording, and I want to try to get back and make sure we hit them. But so what, what, what do you mean by conversational intelligence? It's the higher knowing, the uh, ability to, it's, it's more a step with emotional intelligence, being aware of your own ability to converse and other abilities, other people's ability to converse, right? It's, it's a huge tie in with emotional intelligence. And then you're tying in the heart intelligence with heart math hmm. and, and you're kind of bringing it all together in in relationship in conversations in those safe spaces yes because a huge part of conversational intelligence which i should have mentioned is how we create trust in conversations that's more of the base of it hmm. how can we create trust in conversations and why is trust and authenticity important to begin with if it is Oh, it's, it, well, it's huge because, <laughs> well, it, it helps us connect. It helps us engage. It helps us expand. It's, it, it trust is everything, mm -hmm. right? With, um, with corporations, for example, people will 
I'm sure we we all know this. People will leave an organization based if they don't trust their manager or not. Mm, yep. With relationships, once trust is gone, they they can't get that. And what we're just, this um, understanding with conversational intelligence is we use the neural science of trust in conversations to help people build that, because it helps people have, like I said, the authentic conversations are important because then they can understand, like I can have empathy, I can put myself into their shoes. That's huge, especially with work. Mm. Well, in all relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting. Um, I don't think I've ever talked about work a, as relationships. And I just, yeah. you know, did, did the executives and leaders you come across, are, are, do they realize that, that these are all relationships that matter just as much as a personal or romantic, uh, any, uh, any type of relationship? I don't think a lot of people do at first, but once we start talking about it, they understand that. Because a lot of... Um, when we're looking at trust, we're looking at the neurochemistry of that. It, it, um, it affects the way we do business, right? I mean, because we, we make such poor decisions when we don't trust. We, we don't innovate if we don't trust. Mm-hmm. There, there's so many factors involved in trust. I mean, we look at the neurochemistry of trust. For example, like if we trust somebody, if we have a conversation to trust, there's the um, hormones of dopamine, right? Oxytocin, the feel-good hormones. Right serotonin we have conversations when where i'm connecting with you that's a great conversation we're building a great relationship and and you build trust and therefore let's say we are working together in a project you understand that i got your back you understand that we can work together in harmony whereas if you don't trust me let's say i trigger i trigger you you go into that cortisol or you go into the testosterone or norepinephrine and then you aren't willing to to engage that person because engagement in, in, in corporations can cost them $1,189,000 disengagement. Hmm. It's huge because we have a disengaged employee and they're going to you know, be status quo. They're going to just do their work. They're going to you know, cover their ass. And then you have the engaged employees where they're going to be doing all the work. Pretty soon the engaged employees are like, I'm over this. Oh. See ya. And that's where they get that number. It's from, um, it's from a Gallup poll per 100 employees. Hmm. So, right. So even, yeah, if you, your top performers, the most engaged people, the people that care will get burnt out if they're surrounded yes. by people that are disengaged. Yes. And I see this, I see this not only in, you know, corporations, but a huge amount is hospitals and healthcare hmm. because you have a lot of people, very empathetic workers like nurses, techs, doctors, it can be very draining on a person. Hmm. And this, so this is part of why, um, again, when I was, you know, first out of college and, and getting into corporate America, I thought these were kind of ridiculous, but I, I thought most things that helped me were ridiculous, but why <laughs> so many corporations, you know, invest in the team building and the corporate outing and, you know, weekends of trust falls. It really is yeah. to, to, to build genuine trust and, and authenticity and engagement. Exactly. Well, you know, and it's interesting. They've, they've done, they've spent so much money on, on that portion, on the, 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 the trust falls and the team building, but they miss an important component of that with the neuroscience of it, understanding how humans are. Marketing understands it because a lot of marketing is, marketing is based on neuroscience and emotions, right? All marketing is based on human emotion. Mm-hmm. We forget human beings when we're working in the workforce, that's, that shouldn't be any different. Because employee experience still is a huge trend now, and it's going to continue to 2020 
because when you have a better employee experience, you're going to have a better customer experience. Right. Part of that experience is how do we build trust? And part of that is how we communicate and converse with our employees and how we can, you know, communicate with our coworkers. For, for, for example, when I notice people talking, a lot of times people will tell, yell, self, or they'll talk at people. Sometimes you have to do that when you're just having to ask somebody to, to do something within the workforce. But when somebody's telling, yelling at somebody, the brain goes into that distrust mode and they don't want to listen and engage that person. Right. Same thing with that person who's addicted to being right. I mean, I'm sure you've heard people like they're trying to sell you on their idea and the corporation and, and they check out, right? The way to really start to connect with people and build trust is by asking questions, questions that we don't have answers to, really connecting with people. And some of those questions, I'll give you an example. Um, and I know you can't do this all the time in work. You might ask somebody, what are your assumptions about this? Right? That might be one thing. Why do you feel this way? Or a question I asked my son, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? So it's these questions where you're really engaging people that's going to open up the brain for trust and kind of let that guard down and people then will be in, in, engaged more. Right. And it's, and again, it's another, uh, it, it's kind of a surprise that being asked a question that you have to stop and think about actually puts you more into your heart than just yes. your brain. Yeah. Yes, 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 exactly, exactly. So, so these aren't really, it's not really logical. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do some math. I ask yeah. you some sort of feeling and emotional question, and then that puts you more into your heart, and you're using all of your faculties and all of your gifts and your intuition, ideally. Yeah, and that's what exactly we talked about in the beginning. What I do is that's why I take all this together because it's everything's holistic in nature. Should we talk about getting into that, the, the heart intelligence, getting into the heart center with that so we can be better thinkers, right? We can get to that cognitive brain. Because once we do, we're able to access that conversational agility, that conversational intelligence. Because I do like to call it conversational agility, how you can go back and forth and truly listen to people, understanding where they're coming from and connecting and really getting things done. Because some people, like we, like we said, if we're talking, telling, yelling some, something to somebody, we're not realizing what's really going on behind the scenes. Maybe they really want to get involved with the business. Maybe they really want to get involved with them. Um, they, they might feel very excluded in the business. So we, we, we're missing in a whole arena here by not engaging this. Yeah. I, I love that, that term, conversational agility. Yes. Because you know, the pace of change, is, it just keeps accelerating, it feels like. And, well, it's, yeah. yeah. And sorry, I get so excited. I mean, the same thing. Especially, <laughs> I know, I'm like, yes. Well, it's the same thing when we're looking at artificial intelligence. Things are going to keep speeding up right now. Um, again, with the artificial intelligence, virtual reality, we as human beings haven't, we're getting further away from connecting, hmm. right? Because we have offsite people are working offsite. We have to get to that conversational agility to be able to communicate and talk back and forth with each other, not just eye to eye, but also, you know, with emails and texts, because like you and I went back to at the beginning talking about these triggers. So can, I don't know if you can answer this or have an idea, but uh, can artificial intelligence be, be programmed with coherence and agility? Could it be that the fake versions of ourselves are better at communicating with us than, than we are? Well, it's interesting. They create a lot of artificial intelligence to take out the emotional side of it. Oh, they did. All right. A, so lot that, of it, a lot of it is. No, a lot, a lot of uh, neuroeconomic research has been done on that, um, for example, with physicians. Now, physicians, if they don't have their emotions in check, that can be, that can be pretty scary. 
And there's been some studies done on radiologists where they are looking at um, cancer screenings of women's breast cancer. And depending on their emotional state, they can make a difference on how they read that breast cancer screen. Hmm. And that's pretty serious. Same thing with a lot of other surgeries. Uh, doctors have a tough role and I respect them a lot. But what I'm understanding from the research that I'm looking at is that they're bringing a lot of artificial intelligence in to take that component out so they don't have that higher error, right? Okay. That, that's really key. But with understanding with um, emotions, I've seen artificial intelligence, they're trying to put human emotion into artificial intelligence. They're actually trying to do that. I was at the Consumer Electronics Show and um, Netflix was doing something with it. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> but it, because I think they understand as human beings, we have something called mirror neurons, right. right? And so me looking at your facial expressions, I can kind of pick up on what you're feeling. And that's where they're trying to tie that into the artificial intelligence. And it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. we, should see, we should see what happens. But what they don't have is the artificial intelligence has is they don't have the human heart. Sure, they can have all the complex computing system of, an artificial intelligence, so we say quantum brain or what you want to call it. But with the way you and I are just talking right now, and I'm kind of theorizing, is they won't ever have that human heart that has that memory, that has the emotions, that has that ability to be beyond what we're really because we're, we're operating, we have the potential to be up here, we're operating way down here. Mm -hmm. We have so much potential if we just accessed what is really going on with that heart. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly. I mean, it's the, the old uh, Chinese saying, may you live in interesting times. And, and <laughs> this certainly is in, in, you know, almost limited ways that you can look at all the very yeah. things that are interesting. But yeah, I've heard, uh, you know, some people really excited about AI. And then there's people like Elon Musk warning us that this is the end of humanity. Um, but we don't have to let it be end of humanity, right? We don't have to, because you and I both know with our spiritual practices, you don't want to go into fear. We right. can go into fear all we want. We can worry about, you know, artificial intelligence coming and attacking us, you know, just like Terminator. <laughs> but we can really start to shift our thinking and to shift the way we are with a lot of the heart intelligence and with understanding our own neuroscience and understanding how our own brain works. I mean, everybody's brain is going to work a little differently. It was interesting when you first mentioned trying to get emotions uh, out of out of hospitals and away from doctors. F first, I thought, you know, I was thinking bedside manner, and really, they don't want doctors to feel emotional connections to their patients. But no, you're oh, no, so no. for their own distracting emotions of of what it's, else is going on. Yeah, it, it's when they get so stressed out and they aren't able to make a good decision is what they are saying. When they get so triggered, they get so stressed out, they go into the fear portion of the brain, which is the amygdala. That's what they're talking about. They definitely want physicians to understand the feeling human connection with that because another study that I've, I've observed is that when doctors believe that patient's going to recover, they believe that patient is, is going to make it. The patient makes it. When they have that heart connection with that patient, it's a huge, huge difference. But again, like with anything within hospitals, just when we're so busy and not paying attention, the simplest thing is they don't wash their hands. They forget about the simplest thing to help disease. Epidemiologists do studies on this all the time. They're, they're so busy, they're not caught up in the present moment. But if we weren't in the present moment, just that small thing of washing those hands could save a patient. Right. Could, bring that, could bring that to the disease state.
Right, right. That yeah. little that little thing in the present moment requiring you to notice and be aware of your body. Yeah. But but you could be focusing on, you know, the procedure that you learned and you're trying to just be logical only and and it's a detriment. Oh, physicians are under so much stress. And, and the sad thing is that it's the suicide rate of physicians is increasing. And that breaks my, breaks my heart. I don't want to say it breaks my heart, but it, I, I feel for them because they're trying to do so good for humanity and they get caught up in so much, right? Can, can you, can you and I just imagine that? I mean, being a physician, taking care of people and then feeling guilty if somebody doesn't make it. Right. Or then you're dealing with the stress of your family. And then you're dealing with the stress of the hospital administration and keeping budgets down. That has to be tough. Mm -hmm. And if, if they're not in check with who they really are and who society's programmed into thinking, it's, it's sad that they just want to take their lives. Right. And again, it comes back to not feeling that they can feel those emotions or share those yes. emotions. They yes. just bottle everything up. Yeah. Yeah, because some physicians I've worked with are are right on, they're, they're feeling and they get it. And some just are very shut down, they're very clinical and they go to work. That's fine, but it's, we all forget about that human emotional connection. I, I've worked with quite a few physicians with that. So we mentioned um, earlier that to, to make a safe space and have vulnerability and yes. authenticity and be in the heart so that you can have the difficult conversations. Yes. And is, is there, what what would make up a difficult conversation? Is it just mean it's a conversation I don't want to have? Is it just things you try to avoid, or you know, what, what, what's that, that? That's part of it. But a difficult conversation might be, for example, with an organization that you're going to have to cut staff, that you're going to have to reduce the budget in some way. That um, for for families, um, a difficult conversation is saying, "Hey." Um, I have to tell you, I lost my job or it, it's, it's these life changing, difficult conversations, or it could be one like husband and wife, as simple as like, God, I don't want to tell him I sp I'm out of money and I spent money yeah. or I don't want to tell him that, uh, my, my child tried drugs. I'm just, just making this up, using an example because we don't know how that other person is going to respond because if we've seen people explode and get angry and not willing to connect, we're less apt to want to have that uncomfortable conversations because you see it in society today. We are not willing to have difficult conversations in our society today. I truly believe that we are so focused on being separated. We, um, you know, we can't have a healthy conversation about the Democrats or Republicans. They're both like this. Um, in my opinion, religion, there's so many different things, even in healthcare that people are scared to talk about. Why not? Let's talk about that. What are we fearful of? People are fearful to feel uncomfortable and it's okay to feel uncomfortable. A lot of that is based on past experiences and emotions. And so, so as, as people are looking in their own lives and in the workplace for maybe difficult conversations that they should be having, or they want to make them feel less difficult, it, it feels like it's, so it, it's, it's an element of bad news. Mm -hmm. It's an element of an unknown reaction. Mm -hmm. It's an element of not wanting to feel uncomfortable. As, mm -hmm. the, as the giver or receiver of the conversation and whoever initializes it or, or things mm -hmm. like that. But so the idea of kind of setting up rules around a safe space, yep. right? R recognizing your own triggers or calling them out that maybe yes. this conversation is full of triggers, but we have to have it anyway. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, exactly. so getting, getting off of autopilot, trying 
your best to identify assumptions that are being made. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of things that can go into um, conversational intelligence and agility. Exactly. Exactly. You got it. You got it. (laughs) I can go talk to someone. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, seriously, the, the woman, Judith Glasner, who created conversational intelligence, she even said, as a society, if we aren't willing to have difficult conversations, we're never going to expand as a society. We're never going to evolve. Right. We, right. we need to evolve and we can't be scared of it. And, we, and the, the evolution, in my opinion, starts a lot with the heart mm-hmm. and understanding how the heart brain works to have those conversations. I, I was just at home at a class reunion, 30 year class reunion. My parents still didn't want to have difficult conversations. It was really awkward. <laughs> and, 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 so, and sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes you just know you can't have them and that's, that's fine, but we have to be willing to have them. Right. Right. If you're never willing, then yeah, you're never going to grow. You're never going to change. Yeah. You can't uh, force it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's a shame. Cause it is. I mean, to, to go like the fitness example, we know that, you know, I've got to challenge my muscles. I've got to challenge my heart in, in a yes. workout if I want it to grow and strengthen. So the same thing conversationally, if, if I'm only willing to have the safest conversations, my circle of friends, of influence, of knowledge just will never grow. Exactly. And that's one good thing to play with. Think about as, as a play, like your triggers. And so what I do is I'll watch um, maybe some political show that's maybe not what I, I believe in, and I'll see how much triggered I get. It might sound kind of nuts, but it helps me grow as an individual. Yeah. So I'll prep myself, I'll get into my heart, and I'll listen to a commentator who I might not, might not agree with. And I might listen to it and step away and be the observer and look at that. And I'm like, okay, that's just a trigger. I don't have to get emotionally involved. I don't have to raise that inner Luke in number seven. I don't have to. I don't have to allow it. Yeah. So, but hmm, some people seem to, to like that. Is it kind of like a hook on drama or is it really a chemical reaction that they want to be upset by things? Yes, because people have that addiction that their brain chemistry is so wired to that addiction. They're, they, they love it. They're so used to like um, debating. And typically I'll see that to people who are addicted to being right. They, they get that adrenaline rush. They're like, oh, I'm going to fight this person. And I see it on TV back and forth with the political people going back and forth. They just get so addicted to proving their point instead of connecting. Yeah. I mean, I know it's part of what they have to do on the shows, but in terms of us as a society connecting with people, it's, we have to look at what we have in common. Right? We might not agree with a person, but what do I have in common with this person? They might be a parent like me. They might um, have grown up... Um, in a very similar situation. We have to look for what we have in common, not what we don't have in common and get triggered. Yeah. Cool. And uh, another thing you've mentioned a couple of times that was, is a new term to me that I want to get to, uh, neuroeconomics. Mm-hmm. I, I've never heard that before. So what? Again, it's, it's, just, what it's, it's just the combination of, of, of neuroscience and economics. It's looking at the, the um, human behavior of economics. Hmm. And, and that, that's, that's been out. That's been out. They all kind of came out in the 90s. So the kind of the the emotional impact into the economy is that into human behavior into into human human choices because they're with neuroeconomics we're trying to figure out okay they might have a, a utility or subjective belief around something but how is the emotional side taking into that we might study you know how is empathy taking a role in that decision making it's all based on decision making the neuroeconomics is um, oh my god it's fascinating I, I could go on and on about it yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah, you, it sounds like you can go on and on about a lot of these really <laughs> different things, which I, I, I think it's fascinating. I, I, again, I love the, uh, that you're, you can so easily 
communicate and share these very scientific, scientific, I'm making up words. That's cool. I like that word. It's a new one. Good. <laughs> scientific um, research and ideas and very logical aspects and, and at, in the same sentence be on emotion and authenticity and vulnerability mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. yeah uh, it, you're the total package yeah <laughs> well yeah because we're, we're tying together science and spirituality in many ways that's where we're where we should be heading mm. yeah right and i and i do believe yeah everything is headed that way and just some people see it and welcome it and some don't yeah yeah we, we can't we can't fear it cool so what, what's the best way for people to to track you down learn, learn more information about you get in touch with you uh, well, my website is uh, www.executivereturn.com. And so do you primarily work with, with individual executives? Do you kind of go in and do trainings for entire companies or boards or, or how does it work? I do, I do both. Individuals, teams, organizations. Cool. Yeah, is I there, do both. Is there an element of that that... that um, that you still like, like the most or is all kind of equal and challenging or what, what gets you going? I, I like it all. I, I just get so charged, you know, helping and motivating people with this. It's, it's really cool. It's neat. I just did a work with, uh, I have a partner that she does more of the physical team building part of it. And I do the neuroscience end of it. And it was neat to combine the neuroscience with like the physical team building trust falls aspect of that. So they understand, oh, now I know where my triggers are with this trust. And now I understand why I don't trust, you know, my coworker over here, or now I know why I trust him. And it's interesting to combine the physical experiential part of it and understand the neuroscience so people get it. Hmm. It's really cool. Cool. Awesome. So uh, at work, at home, with, with, with a spouse, a partner, with children, um, as simple as, uh, you know, the five breaths for three minutes, slowing things down, getting more into your heart, helping to be aware and identify your own triggers and well, let's see what would it be triggering if, if i kept telling you what your triggers are is, yes. is that beneficial that, that, or is that, that well you know why because you're telling somebody something remember if we go back to telling yelling selling somebody something that's going back to that distrust right because you know i've seen people do that oh your trigger is this well don't tell me what my triggers i know what my triggers are yeah. <laughs> my triggers being told my trigger is get out of here yeah i know that right happens down. no no well it's, it's just because of the of your if you understand your conversational agility, like I shouldn't tell yell you know tell yell sell somebody something. I should ask them questions. You know what do you what kind of trigger do you think that is, or what are your thoughts, or why did you feel you needed to you know respond in that way? It's always best to have people come to their own conclusions when you're talking to somebody. And I deal with this a lot with my own 13 year old daughter, who's very. <laughs> very much out there emotionally so it's i have to have much more conversational agility with the, with the teenager yes right. good yeah. so it's not it's not as if you would work with the ceo and then he goes back and starts bumping the people in the hallway and telling him what their triggers are and yeah, what's wrong yeah. with them right so it's it's more this the a methodology and an approach that can really go through an entire organization and help everybody involved exactly because they're more aware of what their triggers are i mean even NASA has used this with the Neuroleadership Institute. They discovered why aren't they higher performance? They discovered certainty was their big trigger because their job, their job roles weren't clearly defined. I mean, it's simple things like that. Why aren't we, why aren't, why aren't we performing to the best of our ability? Yeah. And so the Neuroleadership Institute will go in there and they'll say, hey, you know, we need to work on X, Y, Z. Right. I'm, right. I'm not, I'm not doing everything to the best I can because I don't know what you want from me. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
So it is funny because, yeah, so people want certainty and we also want autonomy. Yeah. And, you know, imagine that. We don't always make sense. And it can be contradictory <laughs> triggers and reactions. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Exactly. Cool. Well, uh, again, this I, I feel like we could go for another, I know. another hour. <laughs> well, there's, there's we so much to talk, well, no, there's so much to talk about, especially when we brought up the artificial intelligence, because that was an interesting thing I never thought about before. Mm. I mean, this is the first time I talked about this, that you're right. They can have, they can program emotions into that in a sense, but they don't have the, the human heart. Yeah. Right. Which you is really cool. Unless, I don't know, or you, you make like Iron Man's heart, which has some sort of coherence oh to it as gosh. well. And, can you imagine? reactor, right? Is that what it's called? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but, but cool yeah. this is a uh, I, I i i find everything that you're you're into and that you've experienced and and now teach it just to just to be fascinating and um yeah so everyone out there be you know be willing to to jump into uh wow i just had a total like brain erasure I'm like, what just happened to me? All right. So be willing to jump into difficult conversations. Like yes. identify them, but you know, it's nothing to retreat from. As you said, don't operate from fear. That's not gonna get any of us anywhere. But recognize those difficult conversations, find ways to make a safe space to have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, identify triggers, know your assumptions, call them out, and uh be willing to feel whatever shows up when you're doing it. Exactly. Exactly. So let's I think let's all work together to start evolving as a society. Let's evolve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. If, if more of us were willing and even looking to engage in a difficult, challenging conversation, and, and not, not in the sense of looking for a fight. No. But, yeah, but willing to relax and, and listen and be heard and, and share. Yeah, because you almost feel yourself when you all of a sudden get triggered. You're like, because you have to, we didn't get into this, but where in the body do I feel this trigger? And you'll say, okay, I'm triggered. How do I want to respond to this? Because the amygdala, the fear center of our brain can act within 20 milliseconds. It's so quick. But you, once more you practice this and the more you're aware of it, it's, it's the most amazing experience. When you work that conversational agility and that heart intelligence, yeah. you, have super, you have superpowers like Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. You could be armed with lots of Jedi mind tricks just to mix all of our cinematic universes together actually actually you do though which is kind of cool yeah. when i when i ask my daughter and i ask her questions and she comes to that conclusion without me saying i'm like oh good i didn't have to do that <laughs> <laughs> yes you, i got you to figure out what i wanted to show you yeah and you figured it out on your own great yeah. because but then she builds trust like well my mom right. trusts me and she's asking me questions about yeah. me mm-hmm. and it builds trust in herself too for coming to yes the, the aha right yes yes because I like 13, they don't have executive function. So I can't expect her to have executive function and think like me. It's not there. And especially when people, we have a society where people are, we have a large society that's more ADD, not completely diagnosed because we're so busy, we're ADD. We don't have full executive function. So how can we expect people to act like this? Right. Right? Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, again, this, is, uh, this has been fascinating. I, I uh and I didn't know I would love these topics, but I'm glad to discover <laughs> that I've loved so many of these topics. Yeah, yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent, yes. So, so kudos to you. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you. And, uh, you know, we'll talk to you again in a week or so, or we'll talk to you again, you know, right in the next hour, depending if we're in your shuffle and you're just listening for hours. I don't know how you listen, but uh, Real Men Feel is brought to you by The Good Men Project. Visit goodmenproject.com for more conversations no one else is having. And again, thanks for uh, checking us out. Visit realmenfeel.org. Check us out on Facebook. Send us feedback. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Be well. 
Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. Visit goodmenproject.com for more of the conversations no one else is having.